This is an ABC podcast. The following program contains references to housing affordability. It does not contain references to smashed avocados or millennials because, frankly, we're all sick of hearing about it. The advice in this episode is general in nature. We can't account for your individual circumstances. For advice to suit your individual needs, see the professionals. In fact, we'd be really happy if you did. Ladies and gentlemen, friends, neighbours, bidders and buyers, good morning. The Oxford Dictionary defines the word opportunity as a time and set of circumstances that makes it possible to do something. Well, the times now, the circumstances are here. We're here today to help you bid and buy. It's the great Australian dream. A big backyard, lots of trees to climb um, and somewhere to have a good veggie patch. When I see the kids playing in the backyard, you sort of capture that whole family dream moment that you've been envisioning for a long time. When I picture my dream home, I guess it's got a garden and it's got a bit of space around it. But let's be honest, for plenty of Australians, buying your own home is more of a sweaty nightmare. Uh, When I think about what my parents had as, as I grow up, like I'm probably even in a better financial position right now than they were back then but I still won't be able to achieve close to what they had as a home. There are some places that are just so crappy and I would not even rent them, let alone buy them, for the price tag that's attached to it. Right now, I think owning a property feels like more of a dream than a reality. Why? We're not going to go into that. The reasons are deep and complex. (coughs) Casualisation of the workforce, inflation, competition from investors, negative gearing, overseas buyers, plus the chronic shortage of affordable housing. (coughs) So Sorry, excuse me. Also, you might be happy to rent, and it might make more sense for you. But if you do want to buy property, there are some things you need to know. What are the secrets to cracking the market, decoding the gobbledygook, and winning at auction? I'm Claire Hooper, this is The Pineapple Project, and this is the prickliest topic of all. Ow! Buying a house. So, where do we start? With the foundations. A giant slab of money, otherwise known as a mortgage. Nicole Peterson-McKinnon is the person you want on speed dial when getting your first mortgage feels hectic. (laughs) My friends call me the finance nerd, but you know what? When they need something at those pivotal points in life, like when they are ready to buy their own home, then yeah, they call me pretty quick. (laughs) Oh yeah, she also paid off her first property by the time she was 36. (laughs) And she says mortgages don't have to be huge or overwhelming. I think it's all about, you know, what we're here to talk about today, which is working the system to your own advantage, you know, squeezing the pineapple, if you like, to use the parlance, um, getting every juice out of it. So there's just all these little tricks to work the system and make your money work as hard for you as you do. What's a bad mortgage strategy? Yeah, well, bad mortgage strategies are all about borrowing too much, right? And there's a lot of advice you'll get, mainly from the older generations. Sorry, guys, but mainly, you know, um, oh, you'll never have enough money. You'll never have saved enough money. Just borrow more because, you know, you'll never be ready to get into a mortgage. That's not true. Do your absolute best to save the biggest deposit that you can. Now, without wanting to make um, Sydney Ciders and Melbourneites crying to their coffees right now, 20% is absolutely ideal. So the money you 
you've got, you obviously multiply it by five and that would be your top purchase price. Now, 20% is a great thing to strive for because it avoids what's called lender's mortgage insurance, which is basically an insurance sham. You pay the premiums for this insurance and that protects only the lender and it can run into five figures. So it can really set you back unnecessarily. If you don't have 20%, if you say have 10%, then look, that's okay. You're going to have to reserve or save a little more money for the lender's mortgage insurance. But I guess the purpose of that insurance is that it lets you into the market if you can't get that 20%. And perhaps you make a call that property prices are kind kind of going to grow quicker than you can actually save up the cash. And that's valid too. Okay. So I've saved like a mofo for my deposit. What next? So you've got your 20% deposit, but there's another test you have to apply to make sure that you're borrowing safely because you really need to be relaxed and comfortable about the repayments. So what you need to do is jump on any online calculator, plug in what you're thinking of borrowing and checking what those repayments will be. That's one thing. You need to then stress test that for interest rate rises of, say, three percentage points. So that's 12 rate rises. You've got to be able to cope with those level of repayments now and in the future. Because if you overcommit, then you're going to put yourself in financial stress. And that's, you know, that's the stuff that kind of ruins lives, jeopardises marriages. You don't want to go there. So mortgage stress is what nobody wants because it puts people and families under pressure. So it's when more than one third of your before tax salary, so a household salary, is sucked up by mortgage payments. And that's when it's getting to be too much. There's not enough left over. And then you want to make sure that you get that best loan. You know, you you get the cheapest rate you can. Nicole, how do you choose the right loan? Like, it's a minefield. It's so confusing. Choosing a loan can seem daunting when there are literally thousands of products. But you don't need a mortgage broker to do it because comparison websites are actually falling over themselves to help you out. So it's a little like a choose-your-own-adventure determined by your own circumstances. Straight away, your shortlist gets shorter due to whether you're an owner-occupier or an investor. Whether you want to repay your principal and interest, where you chip away at that debt, and certainly the government wants us to do that now, or whether you want an interest-only loan. And the size of your deposit cuts that shortlist even further. There are actually cheaper loans available for people with a deposit of 20% or more, which is another reason to shoot for that figure. Then it's all about the features, like if there's an offset account, which is magic, and how much you'll pay for all this. But my top tip, if you're going to DIY your debt, is look at the comparison rate. Oh, yeah, you see that heaps on loans. Why are there two rates? Like So they can advertise one rate, but it's not the actual rate. Explain, please. So when it's time to choose a loan, your crucial number is the comparison rate. Forget the advertised rate, because what lenders can do is that they can keep that artificially low by instead slugging you fees secretly in the beginning or once you get on board. The comparison rate captures all that. So that shows you the true cost. So always do your calculations based on the comparison rate. Okay, so do I have to go with one of the big four banks? Like, is that is that safer? Or can I go with madmurraysmortgagemadness.net? Or I can't believe it's not mortgage.com. 
A lot of people think you need to go with a big bank for a mortgage. You probably know that bank, right? But there are so many other options out there now and they are going to save you just so much money. So there's alternative lenders, there's credit unions, there's building societies. The cheapest lender is actually 1% below the average big bank rate. And listeners might be sort of saying, oh, 1%, 1%, what does that matter? It's nothing. But it's actually the equivalent of donating $74,000 to the bank. <gasps> so if you're going to shop around for anything, like finance, boffins are always saying shop around, shop around, shop around. If you do just one thing, shop around for your mortgage, price check what you're paying, because you could quit work a year early. Oh my goodness. Yeah, That's the huge. difference that 1% makes. Okay, more lingo now. What's the difference between fixed and variable? Now, a fixed rate stays the same for a period of time, say three years, that you agree up front. And people take them out if they are worried that interest rates will go up. They've got that repayment certainty and they know that there's never going to be more sort of pressure on the purse strings during that period. A variable rate varies more or, in fact, a bit less these days now that the lenders are playing some silly buggers with their interest rates but it's supposed to vary with the official rate moves of the Reserve Bank. Now, a big advantage of variable rates is that you can pay extra, which you can't always do with a fixed rate. And we know how much that can save you by doing that. So my personal advice is to only ever fix half of your loan sort of having a bet each way, if you like, and never for more than three years. You just don't know what the economy is going to be doing in three years' time. Easy. Easy. Yeah. Simple as. Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) (laughs) Nicole says one of her biggest tips for affording a house, borrow the smallest amount of money that you can and get wise to the power of the offset account. We started really small. You know, we didn't start with the four-bedroom house. We started with half of a flat because we convinced a family member to go halves with us. So then we only had that smaller chunk to pay off. We fixed a bit but mainly kept it variable so we could pay off those extra bits. Then the offset account, that is really key. That is a debt-busting secret weapon. So it's actually a magic little Aussie invention. And what you can do is, is house every bit of money you have to your name. I'm talking your emergency fund, your um, school fund, funds, if you're saving up for that, your holiday cash, even putting your salary into one of these offset accounts and having that sort of net off your loan balance every month. So are you saying that Australians invented the offset? Yeah, we did. Absolutely. And it's gone around the world. It's a genius little invention, but I don't think people still maximise it because I mean, really what you're doing when you use an offset account is you're using your money twice, both for its intended purpose and to slash your loan interest. It costs you not one extra dollar and these are the sort of things you can do that, you know, isn't the hard stuff. It's actually the easy stuff that just sort of works the system to your own advantage. Nicole, if it's so good, why are the banks letting us do it? <laughs> well, they do try and help us out sometimes, but you do have to watch because there are offset accounts and offset accounts. So there are some kind of tricks that they're introducing where there's some really substandard ones, ones that don't actually save you the exact amount of interest that you would otherwise pay. You really want to check out that you're getting the best one. Watch out for those tricks. So basically, Nicole tells me that an offset account gets linked to your loan. Whatever money you keep in that account reduces the interest that you're paying on your mortgage. And the great thing is you can still access the money if you need it. So if you have 10 grand sitting in your offset and a 200 grand mortgage, you're only paying interest on the 190 grand. Nice. Nicole, what other tricks do you have for me in that bag? Pay your mortgage fortnightly is another great trick to make it easy to pay off your loan quicker. Do you want me to explain? 
Yeah, go on. Why don't you explain? (laughs) Okay. So I'm going to blow your mind here with the Gregorian calendar. It's just a weirdness. We all know there's 12 months in a year, but there's not double that number of fortnights. There's not 24, but there's 26 fortnights in a year. So simply take your monthly mortgage repayment and halve it and pay that fortnightly. And that's tricking yourself into getting ahead one full month every single year. And basically, you're kind of tricking yourself into it, you know? Yeah, that's amazing. So there's just all these little tricks to work the system and make your money work as hard for you as you do. You know, the mortgage can seem like an insurmountable kind of noose around your neck. And if you sort of start lower and build up, then it makes you feel like you really do have the chance of paying it off. And I would say, look, I think a lot of people are completely thinking outside the box when it comes to property now. And the nature of the work that we're doing, a lot of jobs can be done remotely now, particularly with technological advances. Well worth considering. Thinking outside the box, eh? Rebecca Noonan was in a committed relationship with Inner City Renting when she peered over the fence, like quite a long way over the fence. So when I lived in Sydney, I didn't ever think about buying property because I was single. I felt that you really had to have a, a dual income to be able to afford property in Sydney. And particularly, I'd always lived in the inner city I kind of told myself over time that I was very attached to that European ideal where you just rent until, you know, you die, essentially. And I thought that there was something quite romantic about that. And, you know, there's a big obsession with property in Australia and I didn't necessarily relate to that. And so for lots of different reasons, um, including financial ones, I kind of just turned my mind away from the idea of owning a house. But then she ventured outside city limits to Goulburn, two and a half hours away from Sydney. I started to look in real estate agent windows and it seemed that actually I could buy a house and when I looked into what the repayments would be, it was very similar to what I was paying in rent. And, you know, that was a really foreign idea to me that rent might be the same amount as a mortgage repayment. And then there started to be a lot more talk in the media as well about how difficult it was for people to get into the housing market and first home ownership. Rebecca did a complete 180. She went from thinking, I'll never own a home to, damn, son, Goulburn is a gold mine. It was really interesting to me how it did feel to look at houses that potentially might become mine. And I looked at a lot of properties and I was looking very much in the average housing price in Goulburn I looked at a lot of different things and it was really interesting. One day I went to look at a house that was slightly outside of my price range and I can remember pulling up outside and just thinking, I love this house already. And that's, I think, probably a really terrible way to approach buying a house because you're not meant to kind of be emotional about it. But I certainly just felt really great about this house from the minute I saw it, even from the outside. I decided that I would see if I could offer them something below the price that they were looking for. So I did that and they said no. And I was pretty sad about that, but I was trying to kind of get my rational side back in charge. And so I said, well, that's fine. Houses come and go and that's that's going to be all right. That's not meant to be my house. And a couple of months later, 
the real estate agent got in touch with me and he said, oh, we've had a really protracted kind of negotiation with the person who made the offer on the house that beat you and it's fallen through and we wanted to let you know that it's back on the market and um, I was able to secure it. So it was a bit of an unusual process, but in the end, my emotional side took over again and I decided it was meant to be mine. It feels really different actually living in a house that you own and there is definitely something quantifiably different about the idea that there is this kind of security about being in the house and you've chosen it and you've chosen to kind of I guess commit to it in this funny way that is much more of a commitment than a rental property. So it feels really good. And because I've been able to purchase a house at a price that is not a real stretch for me financially, that also feels very good because, you know, I can imagine living in Sydney and feeling like your mortgage is too big and that if interest rates change, there's not much tolerance in your budget to deal with that. And I feel like I've been able to really purchase something which is well within my capabilities to pay it off. And it's not a very kind of tight budget for me with paying off this mortgage. So I do feel very fortunate to have been able to have that opportunity and to find a job in a regional area that's allowed me to do that. It is still definitely a long-term commitment, but it also, when I see the number on the page of my bank account, it doesn't make me feel anxious. It just looks like a reasonable amount of money to pay off over quite a long time. Four-bedroom home in Wagga Wagga. Oh, Logan commute times to Brisbane does Mount Isa have running water? Wait, 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 Claire. What? Oh, hi, Emily. Sensible. Sensible, Emily. Mm, you like that sensible? Before you go making an offer offer in Wagga Wagga or anywhere else, do you even know anything about the market there? Have you been there? Yeah, a couple of great weekends, actually. Well, you should ask yourself some questions. You've got to think about why you want to buy a property. Are you going to live there or rent it out? If you want to live in it, awesome. Think about resale value. But if you're buying it as an investment, you've got to think about a few more things. She's so bossy. I want to introduce you to two new phrases, capital gains and rental yields. Capital gains is where the property increases in price over time. And rental yields is about how much cash you can get for renting it out. In some places, house and land see better growth in the market, but in other areas where units are scarce, they are actually seeing more improvements. Okay, hang on. I'm just going to paraphrase for you. So what you're saying is do some research, talk to the agents, scope out the area locally before you buy. Pretty much. Okay. You could have just said that. Well, you may not be aware of this, but in regional areas, you can often get a better return from rental yields than metro investments. But typically, capital gains are slower. So if you're thinking of selling it in like three years, it may not have even increased in value at all. Yeah. And one last thing to consider, there are tax implications. Oh, that makes me feel very sleepy. Don't go on. If the property is positively geared where the rent covers your costs associated with owning it, then you will pay tax on that. And if it's negatively geared, you can claim those losses against your income. 
Anyway, I'm happy to drive you to Wagga this weekend, Claire. We could stop at Wangaratta for a pie at the bakery. We could share a motel room to save costs. Girls' night! Yeah. Thanks, Emily. I'll get back to you on that. Okay. Let's say you've done the hard stuff. You've saved your deposit, selected the right loan. You've done a mountain of paperwork and you have the money ready to go. And then you find the one you want and it's going to auction. How do you clinch that deal? Sam Lally is a buyer's advocate. His job is to outbid, outplay and outlast at auction. To hire someone like him will cost you thousands. But we're on a budget, guys. So we're stealing his tips for free. So what can this insider teach us about how to win? Let's witness him in his natural habitat. You are negotiating with the agent from the day you walk through the door and you meet him at the door. Everything's a negotiation, so how you act, what you say, when you say it, and who you say it to can be, you know, um, prove a good outcome or a bad outcome for you and what you're hoping to achieve. We're in a nice tree-lined street in Melbourne East. Skies are blue. Not the best day for an auction from my side of things because you've got every man and his dog out in the weather and it's difficult to pick who your main competition is. But if it was raining, it probably wouldn't have come to the auction. Right now, at this present point in time, I can see around about 15 consumers here, whether they're looking to purchase, whether they're just getting an update on the market and what it's doing. Difficult to tell at this stage. First thing, stake out the agent. So, yeah, I've got to uh, go through the property and then on my way in, I normally say to the agent, I don't think I've got enough money so that I um, preempt that if the property passes in to me, which it will do, because I will be the highest bidder, that I've already preempted that I don't have enough money. So when we go into negotiate, he has to work on his vendor, not work on me. Then profile your competition. So I've got um, a couple over there on the fence at 21. They've been through it twice. We have a couple that uh, have been uh, probably playing a bit cagey. He's, um, he's over the road in that blue shirt with um, bone shorts on. He's probably going to be bidding for his son. And uh, then the agents also said that um, there's uh, people here that will probably bid on behalf of other people as well. So because the people haven't showed up that who showed interest. Um, and then there's another guy there, bit hit and miss, but he's got his arms folded over there with the... Uh, black shorts on, grey and black striped t-shirt, I'd say that he's probably a competitor as well. People come in and go, oh, pull up at the front in their fancy European cars to give off the appearance that they've got deep pockets. Look, it's, it's a bit of a chest beat, really. Speaking of chest beating, Sam takes an unusual spot. He puts himself in a position where he can see his competitors' faces. Right at the front, right under the for sale sign, and right near the auctioneer. Like he's about to hold tribal council and blow everyone's tiki torch out. Most people, when they're at an auction, they'll stand looking back at the auctioneer so they don't actually know what's going on around them. We stand here so that we can actually see what's happening, who the people are, what they're, how they're standing, who they're talking to. Are they by themselves? Are they, they could be friends of the vendor. You know, generally big groups of people are friends of the vendor and small clusters of people like partners or um, friends or are generally other buyers and they just want to come for the support of their friends who are looking at either bidding or obviously the seller as well. Body language is the key. Their arms are folded. Generally everyone who stands with their arms folded at an auction is going to bid. That's why I stand with my hands behind my back, so I'm not giving away anything. You can generally tell when someone's running out of money because when they fold their arms, their shoulders are up. 
and when they're running out of money, their shoulders drop. He won't tell me what his upper limit is. He has the ultimate poker face. I, I, I'm not going to say anything now, um, only because I don't know who's around. And I don't know you guys, and one of you guys could be bidding, so no. <laughs> it's almost go time. Clear eyes, full pockets, can't lose. We are currently about a minute out from the auction. The auction has just gone inside, probably to see final instructions on where his you know, anticipated reserve will be. And then it's time for auction. Who wants to give me an opening bid here today at Sutherland Street in Melbourne East? 782 There's your competition. He's behind me, but he's in front of you. There's probably 60 people in the street right now, all facing one way. Sam facing them. 25. 25, I've got. 30. Straight back. Not, mark yet. not quite. I'll let you know as soon as we're on the market, sir, you will be the first to know. How about you put it on the market and I'll give you another bid? Oh, no, 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 sir. My vendor would not be happy with that. At 830. Sam is toying with everyone. He's so relaxed. At 40 and 50, can I say? 60. 650, 60, I've got. Oh, we have another bidder. A young family. At 880 bids here. 85. 85, I've got now, 85 and 90 if you'd like now. At 90, I've got. 900. 900. At 900 now. Cold, at 930,000. Third and final call. 35. 40. 35. 40. At 40 now. Sam destroys them. Every time they bid, he's back. Need to know. 41. 42. 42. Young couple are conversing with each other. Oh, no, their shoulders are dropping. They look like a couple of mice about to be crushed by a cat. Hurry, you to put your best foot forward. At 942,000, we're selling here to this gentleman here today. First call at 942, second call at 942,000. Selling, selling, sold. Sam wins. He opened the bid at 782500 and closed it at $942,000. A shade under a million. We've set the market value today and um, it was pretty much within my range, so quite happy with that. It's all banter, it's how you play, it's, it's, it's got everything, your communication to the agent, um, there's everything surrounding, but it's the whole transaction, it's not just auction day. So that's my number one tip, is get all the information about your competition before you even bid. Because then you'll know whether you're actually in the running to buy it or not. Whoa. So that is an auction. Okay, back to you. So what have we learned about buying a house? Do your sums so you're not getting yourself under mortgage stress. Look outside the box. There might be a creative option that suits you. And if you stand with your arms folded at an auction, you better be prepared for what you're getting into. So if property is the path you choose, I hope this gets your foot in the door and, frankly, all your furniture as well. If you know someone who's all like, oh, I want to buy a house but I don't know where to start, let's go to brunch instead, then share this podcast with them. Go to brunch and grab their phone and subscribe them, either in a podcast app or in the ABC Listen app. I'm Claire Hooper, and I'm getting better at Googling regional real estate. Roll the credits. This episode of The Pineapple Project was mixed by John Jacobs. I was the man in the beige shorts. It was produced by Rachel Fountain. Can I get an immunity idol to protect me from real estate agents? Consulting producer is Emily Stewart. 
I would never vote you off, Claire. We have an alliance for life. <gasps> the show's executive producer is Monique Bolly. I am voting Emily off. She's too sensible. Also slightly crazy. And the head of ABC Audio Studios is Kelly Reardon. This is a production of ABC Audio Studios. Raising kids today is tricky. So what are the things that children really need to grow and thrive? I'm Maggie Dent. I'm a parenting educator and I host the podcast Parental As Anything. It's a practical guide to raising great kids that helps you be the parent you really want to be. No matter your parenting dilemma, there's all my best solutions. Parental As Anything with me, Maggie Dent, in the ABC Listen app or wherever you find your podcasts. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.